Welcome to the Coast Down Podcast, presented by Pratt Miller. Pratt Miller, transforming what's possible. Welcome to the Coast Down Podcast, everybody. I am one of your hosts, hostess with the mostest, Brad Zimmerman, and I'm here with who? Luke Sager. I am finally back. So, uh, yeah, that's right. So today's July 5th. It is a little bit after 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we have Luke back online here. Uh, he was uh, not present for the past two podcasts. Yeah. Which ran a little thin. I don't know. They were good. I don't know. I, I liked them. So uh, we're glad to have you back. Glad um, to be back. That's awesome. Yeah. Here we, we are. We were both discussing ahead of this that uh, it's the day after a holiday on a weird day to have a, a Tuesday off. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know what day it is, and I'm dragging. Yep, same. <laughs> um, okay, so hopefully not dragging too much because there was a lot of racing there was. this past weekend. And Some good, lot, good racing. A lot of stuff going on. A lot to talk about. So we had Formula One, IndyCar, and NASCAR yep. all live. Um, and well, the Tour de France. Are we going to cover the Tour de France here too? Nope. Oh, okay. Uh, why don't you? What were your thoughts on Formula One? Formula the One, Austrian Grand Prix. Um, so I don't know if you caught it, but there was a, it was a sprint uh, weekend, it was. race weekend. So yeah. they had uh, a sprint on Saturday, so qualified Friday, sprint on sa- Saturday, um, race on Sunday. Um, the sprint was actually probably the most exciting part of the weekend. Um, mixed mixed conditions uh-huh. um, and some really close hard racing yeah um i mean everything kind of played out in a typical fashion with verstappen winning and things like that um but but it was you know exciting um to watch short short and fast and and aggressive um so that was really good um i mean in terms of the race on sunday we saw sort of this typical uh narrative play out Mm -hmm. um verstappen starting from the pole and winning and again uh perez uh not starting so hot starting from 15 yeah and and having yeah. to dig his way uh back um so i don't know if you caught any of qualifying um but perez was fast mm-hmm. uh he just kept hitting track limits yeah and getting his laps thrown out and wow so it's been i don't know three weeks in a row where he's really effed up on qualifying and had to start way in the back. Um, so, but, but anyways, he was able to claw his way up to, where did he end up? He ended up third. Um, so anyway, so yeah, my two thoughts, my thoughts are, you know, <clears throat> sorry, uh, standard narrative that we've been seeing yeah. pretty much all year. And that we're now up to, uh, every race this season being won by a Red Bull. Yeah. Um, seven for Verstappen, uh, two for Perez. And I don't know, my, my added thought for the plot of this year is if you removed Red Bull, um, it would, it's a pretty interesting year with a lot of, uh, teams that are really, really close competitively between, uh, Ferrari, um, Mercedes and, uh, Aston. Right. I had in my notes that some of the mid-pack stuff going on was pretty exciting, yeah. and camera did cut to it quite a bit. Um, you know, I thought Perez coming from the back to get on the podium was great. You know, this is Max's fifth win in a row. Um, 
the Ferraris looked spicy. They did, uh, yeah. especially right off the bat with little Charlie Leclerc was just trying to nose his way in there. But yeah, um, so I I think that's good. I um, I don't know. I, uh, personally, that's not my favorite track to watch. I don't know why. It's very it's a beautiful track. Yep. It's in a beautiful part of the world. But I, I just, there's not a huge connection for me there for that track. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it's the same outcome. Uh, and the off the track, the comments are getting louder here in America with, is this really what Formula One is for people that don't really follow it a lot? Yeah. There's, I think they're very initially starting to check out. And, yeah, you know, that was a question for you. I don't know if we're in the Twilight Zone or what. Never in my life, have in one season across the board, have I heard the word track limits more than I'm hearing it now. And yeah. It just seems like it's, I don't know for what reason, it's way more prevalent and violating. I don't know if, if like someone said, oh, we're just going to call track limits this year. But um, I thought that was a, a big piece of it. I don't know if that is um, the FIA stepping in and trying to pull back people i don't know yeah no you're right i mean we've been hearing about it a lot like lamar yeah and in the WEC racing yeah um we hear it a lot and and then yeah also yeah in f1 um I th- it depends on the track but yeah some tracks are definitely more prevalent to this um you know this track limit type thing yeah what, so what what do you know the actual rule for like how did they define violating a track limit um i don't in yeah. a yeah, I mean, because I don't know if it's two tires, one tire, four tires, outside white lines. Uh, are you able to go on rumble strips? Yeah. But when there's white lines, you need to stay inside. I'm, of I'm them. guessing it's track specific mm-hmm. um, that they define it. Yeah. And 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 give it to the stewards to enforce. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I think from a commercial standpoint, the the Red Bull running away from it or running away from everybody again um, is. You know, like we've said before on this podcast, in every sport, there has been one or two of these in the last 50 years where teams and drivers click and they just are unconscious and they just win at will. Yeah. And the the series and teams have plowed through it and everything has been okay. Well, I would say in F1, this narrative happens a lot. Yep. And, and, and it can last for years, right? We've seen it. We saw it with Schumacher. We saw it with Lewis Hamilton. Now we're seeing it with Verstappen. This story repeats itself quite frequently in in F1. Do you think it's louder now, or at least in my head it's louder, for number one, because there's so many new people watching, and number two, in my opinion, is Max outside of the car, is he that entertaining? Is he a character that people want to like? I, I don't think they want to hate him, but I just think that, you know, he's kind of, he's very outspoken. He will tell you what's on his mind and yep. not, he has no filter, which yep. I, I appreciate. But like, I don't know, I, I, steep, I keep going back to John Force. He, for a period of time, he won everything. Yep. But people love seeing him because he was entertaining. Yeah, he's super, yeah, I agree. So yeah. is that the piece that, like Jimmy Johnson won everything. Mm-hmm. Nice guy. Vanilla, yeah, not entertaining, right? And I think that's where he kind of towards the tail end of those championships is like he, he started getting booze, yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering if that's the missing piece for a driver is 
we okay as a fan i would love to see you win all the races but outside of the car you need to do something for me else like make me laugh or do something or right. I don't know what it is. yeah so well yeah i agree with all that um you know it, it's also um so hard to focus on anything other than the guy at the front of the race yep. so you know what's going through my mind is we're talking about the midfield competition but like it's so hard to even pay attention to that and it, and it's like you're searching for something to entertain yourself because the what's really important is boring yeah <laughs> you know it's kind of a weird yeah a weird thing and you know i i think this gets back to you know not to toot our own horn but what we're doing with the alternative broadcast for the sports car races given the way formula one is packaged and shot out to the world from a broadcasting standpoint i i don't understand why they don't do it themselves where and not not where they have a former driver or a driver in it and like you know with uh, will arnett and uh, daniel ricardo i don't i don't think that's going to work but if you have another set of professional announcers that are on their own channel but still coming from the same feed so they're listening to the same things they're all dialed in yep but if you want to go to channel 21 and watch formula one the primary channel but if you want to go to channel 21b yep and watch they're going to cover fourth to sixth and then seventh to twelfth and that's all that they're going to cover Mm, yeah because i think they have the ability to because formula one shoots everything the whole production is Formula One. Yep. Signal goes up, and then they sell the signal. Yep. And so they have total control of what's going on. And why would you not offer, like, if you want to watch a mid-pack or if you want to watch McLaren only, then push that button, you know? And you're, yep. you're still going to be able to collect the eyeballs in the audience. Uh, it just may not be on your primary channel. But I don't know. I think that's – I think something like that could happen officially – given the fact that, um, you know, a lot of these races are won from the front row. These yep. teams can go on amazing stretches of championships and wins and blah, blah, blah. So. Yep. Well, or maybe the other option is, you know, we watch Drive to Survive and all these things, and, and we love how much you connect with what's going on with the team and the characters and, and everything. Is there a play where, you know, once the race starts – you know playing out and it's kind of gets to the boring point where Mm. you're just knocking off laps Mm. that they switch to some of this more of these stories Mm -hmm. that um that that make it you know more exciting and appealing to the fans to connect to the characters and the team and etc so anyhow yeah it's it's the the racing just watching racing can be pretty boring Mm -hmm. right like something should happen to make it more entertaining yeah and again speaking from the the u.s audience especially the newbies that they they could turn it off as quickly as they turned it on and the other interesting thing is that um so the formula one season ends in november early november yep um formula one is going to have to go up against the nfl and uh, all of motorsports takes a hit when the when NFL season starts in September, mm-hmm. and it'll be I'll be interesting to see the the amount of new fans that have followed Formula One and the little bump they've gotten a TV and everything else, and then once the NFL starts, if that comes off or like how that affects yeah. things. Well, again, um, you know this quote unquote bump, we haven't seen that this year. Mm-hmm. They're flat this year. Yep. They're, 
Um, so anyhow, do you have ratings for F1? No, I didn't. I didn't find them. I uh, a lot of my off track stuff was focused on NASCAR with okay, <laughs> everything yeah, going on in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's Formula One. Yeah, you know, I Ma- Max, that's, Max One. Yeah, yeah Max One. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, IndyCar Mid Ohio. Yeah. Um, fairly short track, uh, congested. Um, uh, I think always usually produces like pure honest racing it's a it's a racecraft type track yep uh it's got some elevation uh fuel mileage every once in a while kicks in but the first thing that i think everyone saw from the weekend was the practice crash from simon pagano and uh much like the the ross chastain martinsville maneuver where it didn't look real because he was going so fast Mm mm-hmm um, although NBC didn't get a good shot of it because it was a practice and they were only focusing on him when his car started to barrel roll, uh, it looked fake because it was happening so fast. It looked like it was on fast forward. And, um, apparently he had brake failure. It looks like he touched the brakes to set his car up to go into the turn and his brakes worked for a split second. And then they went away because the car rotated and then it was a right-hander and which had slight banking. So the banking kind of acted like a launch pad and the car got tossed up in the air. Townsend Bell said 180 ish miles an hour oh, wow. is kind of what that corner is. Wow. So, uh, uh, nerdy information for you, a 757 takes off at 185 miles an hour. So that kind of puts it in perspective yeah. of he's hauling the mail and this thing's going to go on its side. Wow. And I think it, he rolled seven times, um, the kitty litter did exactly what it was designed to do. Scrub speed, scrub speed, as opposed to like launching and stopping abruptly. So even though it looked violent, which it was, um, everything did safety wise what it was supposed to do. And he just barely touched the tire barrier. Once he got there, um, he landed on his side ish kind of on his lid a little bit on uh, the corner workers got there. He got out. Uh, he was, fine physically he got out on his own power um i think all the indy car drivers they were the the your g meters i think i heard 80 g's is wow. what he sustained um and the second he got out uh he walked away from the car hunched over not hunched over he kind of knelt down squatted down and, and dipped his head and was shaking his head left you know back and forth like oh my god what the hell that just happened yeah so i think um physically he's okay but uh mentally i think that kind of yeah caught him off guard and i have been in a personal car when i was a kid and the brakes went out and i was going about 20 miles an hour and they gave out and i thought i was going to die yeah i can't imagine going that's that's speed and having no brakes wow (laughs) yeah yeah that was something else um herda was on pole again yeah herda has a new strategist um so harner got he's still with the team got moved to um devlin uh, Herder, Herda, um, on pole, new strategist, um, right off the bat, Felix Rosenquist, Marcus Erickson got into a tuffle. Uh, this is another safety thing where the, uh, Erickson and Felix touch wheels. Erickson's car jumped up. Yep. Uh, and then it looked like the side of the floor marked the, um, uh, windscreen of Felix 
and it left a big mark on it. So showing that that windscreen, even though it was at a slower speed, if it wasn't there, the side of the car would have been right upside his head. Yep. Um, for me, it was good racing. It was a tactical, pure race. Nothing crazy out of the ordinary. Um, uh, Colton had a pit lane violation, I think, for speed. Yep, getting into the pits. Yeah. Yep. Um, Alex Pillow, Jesus. Wow. Fourth win, third in a row. Yeah. He has a 110-point lead in yeah. IndyCar, which is almost as long as I've been following it is almost unheard of. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it really usually, is. You know, so it's much smaller. Um, so, uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on IndyCar? Uh, yeah, uh, Pelo is on fire. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. He he just seems to be the fastest car by a long shot out yep. there, and, and can do whatever he wants to do when he needs to do it. Almost a la Max Verstappen deal, but we're but they're all in the same car, so. Yep. So you can see, you know, that's a Ganassi car, um, great car. Ganassi is always super competitive. Scott Dixon was second. Yeah. So, you know. And is now second in the points. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's pretty good considering <laughs> where he was earlier. And, yep. But, um, you know, again, they're spec cars. <clears throat> so, um, and, and there's not, a, he, they don't have a huge speed advantage. He wasn't necessarily on the pole. Yep. He's just, he's just getting it done. It's yep. very impressive. Um, to me, the other exciting part of the weekend was, uh, the Ray Hall cars were up there again. Uh, oh, home track. <laughs> yeah. Home track. Good to see, uh, Graham started second. Um, he, he was actually running well all day. Um, they had a slow pit stop, mm. which screwed them up and, and, and fell back. Um, but they seem to have speed on road courses, um, certainly struggling on oval, certainly struggling on street courses, mm. but, uh, road courses have some speed. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, similar to you, that was a decent race. Yeah. Um, fairly interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I wonder how early Pelo is going to be able to clinch. Yeah. So they have eight races left. And, uh, if you are a newbie IndyCar fan or a seasoned veteran fan, I think everyone is going to really enjoy this last part of the series or last part of the season, meaning having uh, Alex be chased by Scott. Because like I said before, this is this is Scott's MO. Yep. He never really starts a season off strong, but he comes on strong towards the end. And granted, that 110-point deficit is massive because mm -hmm. I think the most amount of points you can get for each race is about 50, you know, winning the race, being the fastest, blah, blah, blah. So um, he still has a – Dixon still has a huge mountain to climb to get mm -hmm. to Alex. But those two cars out in front now, from a point standpoint, that should be highly entertaining, yeah. especially them being on the same team. And, you know, the article or uh, a racer article came out probably three weeks ago now and they were you know alex plow he had all his contract noise you know uh last year and all of the miscommunication and who was doing what and mclaren has you know their teeth synced in him after he's done with ganassi and all this other stuff nothing nothing from his side has been finalized and there was an article that came out on racer questioning why would he leave his situation now why would he go to formula one and potentially become a nobody and be mid-pack at best, or um, stay where he is, keep winning races, keep winning championships, go after the 500, which he's been, he's almost won twice now. So um, that, I think that was an interesting 
point of view, and I th- and I don't think Racer would write an article just purely on oh, what about this thought? You mm-hmm. know, there's usually is some bit of teeth to it. So, hmm. yeah, that 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 is interesting. I mean, the, the typical progression for someone as good as him would be would be good at F one and yep. yeah, potentially have that risk of of you know being a mid pack guy but i mean it is f1 versus versus yeah. indycar which is a step higher yeah um and i would say we see that a ton in nascar where you see a driver in xfinity just dominate mm-hmm. absolutely dominate they they look like a phenom b- beyond phenoms mm-hmm. and then they move to cup and nothing happens and nothing ever comes of it and yeah. and you kind of forget about them. Yeah. But, but rewind, you know, they were superstars. Um, yeah, I don't, this is, it's going to be very interesting because you're only 20 something years old once. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, I think Indy cars are very physical. I think formula one cars are more physical. So you, your body can only withstand that so long and still be sharp. Um, I think, uh, could he get paid more? Yes. Could he get paid a lot more? Probably. Um, is he going to be racing in the top uh, pinnacle of motorsports if he does go? Yes. Is that worth it? And that, to me, I think is very – because I know how addicting it is for a driver to win races and to be competitive and to have that confidence. And, and anywhere they go on the track, they're like, yeah, I can, I can probably win this. And to have that level of confidence um, is, is unique and it's hard to get. Are they willing to give it up? for money no and and, you know we all know obviously we just talked about it five minutes ago uh he's not going to go to formula one to win and he's probably not going to get in the top 10 and that's not a dig on him that's just that's just the way it is yeah you know could he be uh this freak of nature he gets in and he takes mclaren or whoever he ends up going to moving them up a few places on the grid Uh, maybe yeah uh is he going to be with the red cars and the blue cars no it's just just not going to happen so uh, that I think it's a very critical career decision that he's going to have to make on um, making less money, but but being the guy. Yeah, or yeah. Making mo- more money and being one of the guys. Well, he could also still, you know, wait, do a few more years of what he's doing, right? Yeah. yeah. And and then decide. But like you said, yeah, maybe try to get that uh, Indy Five Hundred win. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you have you have the kind of uh, similar conversation going on the other way with Max Verstappen. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already talking about. Well, you know, I've kind of done everything here in F one, mm-hmm. ready to do something else. You know, hinted sports car, other things. So <laughs> there could be something interesting there. It's like, yeah, this has been fun. I love I love being in F one. I love winning. But you know, I, I want to try something new. Yeah, and I don't know much ab- about him in terms of like how he ticks. He doesn't seem to be the, t- the type of person that, like, loves making a shitload of money. Doesn't hate it, but it's not what's, not what's driving him. And uh, I would also think someone like that would also make comments like, oh, okay, well, I've done this. I've made $30 million a year for the last three years. Yeah. I'm going to go make $1 million a year or less doing something else. Yeah. Yeah, he's an interesting read. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's some guys out there that are just, you know, I would deem them as just, racers to the core to the bone yeah. um and the two that come to mind kyle larson yeah uh and kyle bush yeah those guys live breathe 
yep. racing. Yep. Right. And and oh wow, they happen to make money doing it. Yeah. But they are just addicted to it. They want to race all the time. Yeah. It's just running through their veins. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how Max kind of compares to that. Is is he of that same yeah. breed? I I don't know. He's kind of a bit more relaxed, recluse, whatever, to kind of really pick that up. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but anyways, there's guys like that that just want to race anything and everything yeah. 24-7. Yeah, and they're like that because they're good at it. I mean, it, it's both. It's, um, you know, it's like being uh, having a basketball body but not a basketball mind. Yeah. Uh, like I think Tiger Woods in golf, Michael Jordan in basketball, the one thing that put them so far ahead of everyone else was their attitude and their mental capacity because physically there's a lot of people that can get up to that level of strength and you know swing and shot and whatever else but i think the separator is the mindset and i know jordan took a lot of crap for his attitude towards winning but when you're a professional athlete making that type of money and in that that's that's the mindset you need yep. you know yep and um and i think tiger was the same way on the golf course so, yeah i agree with that yeah um but yeah, so it's it's gonna be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yep. Um, all right, NASCAR. Yeah. Holy cow! It's <laughs> a lot going on in NASCAR. Yeah. So this, I forget when they announced it, but this street course in Chicago has been in the works for a while. Yep. And um, uh, it has it meaning having a movable um, track package. And taking it to city streets has been talked about for a while, officially, unofficially, within NASCAR for years. Yep. And I think there was a lot of um, uh, folks that have studied and looked at how IndyCar works mm-hmm. when they take their events into the city streets. And uh, you are literally taking the party right to the people as opposed to the people having to drive 50 miles outside of wherever they live yep. to go to the track. Yep. Uh, it finally came to fruition. Um, the the few people that I know, they were on this on the grounds for a while, building it, constructing it. Um, uh, the track uh, on paper didn't look like it would produce the best racing, uh, but I think that changed when they put cars on the track. Yeah, I think the track itself looked fairly good for being a street course yep. um a couple really narrow areas but that's just that's what they have to deal with yeah and um so i i think it it looked the part um i think it was functional um but then the weather yeah and uh what the hell that <laughs> was insane it's uh i you know i i'm almost positive i'm sure s- someone in nascar took out an insurance policy to protect against things that would brings the weather you know that that weather brings but um i worked in event marketing for a long time and love hate relationship with the weather uh and when you're building things structures or whatever and you have people around them in them lightning rain wind like it's all um very temperamental yeah and when you have this amount of crazy rain come in plus the haze from the fires from canada yeah it's like they couldn't catch a break to no, save their they life could, no <laughs> they could not um so what were your thoughts on xfinity uh are we if, co- if you if you watch that just because i i think this is a unique enough event where we can talk about the whole yeah thing. i would i was 
going to watch Xfinity, but I didn't. So I have nothing to say. So the reason I bring it up is, um, you know, they I think they had 50-some laps scheduled. They got to lap 22-ish, and they stopped the race, and they said it was due to lightning, uh, which makes sense. Uh, but the the thing that caught me after several minutes is that they kept showing the cars on pit road with the covers on them and all the people and crew members on pit road were just hanging out no one was taking shelter Mm -hmm. and to me i was like what is this got to be more than lightning so the from what i heard uh the lightning bubble when it strikes uh at a normal racetrack is like within a few ish miles and they'll kill it they'll tell people to take shelter yeah. and then they wake wait a half hour uh, i thought what i heard is that the bubble for the city of chicago is like eight miles mm-hmm. for the the public got it and so something happened way out there and then um there may have been a labor issue with the local labor force oh really and so uh, i don't know all the details of it but the the biggest the biggest tell was that no one on any of the teams were taking cover for lightning they were just kind of hanging out killing time got it so there was something else going on and they eventually called the race the next day they pushed it to 11 o'clock the next day it was still raining even harder and uh nascar uh, in their infinite wisdom and their last blank page on the rule book <laughs> said, uh, we're, you know, three ish laps away from halfway and calling it official. This is unprecedented, but we're going to call it official. So, uh, Cole Custer won the Xfinity race. He led, I think every lap. Um, but that first race kind of showed how the cup guys were going to run and like where the, speedy areas were where the braking was and how the water and everything so um i thought that was a good precursor to the cup weekend yep um so uh the tv window opens it's pouring they have pictures on pit road of tires floating you know the pit guys were showing how deep the water was um the water was running off but at a very slow rate they had a guy with a uh, pocket knife cutting the vinyl graphics to let the water flow out quicker um uh it was tight uh turn seven looked to be the tightest like from a visual standpoint and then you know trying to navigate it um i thought the race was pretty good up until halfway and then halfway to the end it got really good mm-hmm. and um i think because these cars are built for this style of racing that's why i think this is not an accident um and uh shane von gisbergen look out yeah <laughs> um i do not know uh I, I i am aware of australian v8 supercar racing i do not follow it i don't know who all the big guys are um, but this guy has three championships and 80 wins. He's 34 from Auckland, New Zealand. Um, when he was interviewed at the end, he has a very much New Zealand aura about him, which is very low key and nice. And yeah. like you want to like him. And this guy put on a clinic. He really did. And, yep. um, so what, what were your thoughts on the overall racing product? Yeah. So, um, it was certainly entertaining. Um, from start to finish really um 
you know, seeing the beginning and, and the mixed conditions, I thought, again, like kind of like the F1 sprint race, the kind of mixed conditions um, make for exciting, dramatic racing. Yeah. So, you know, just seeing the, the slippery spots on the car, on the track, seeing the car slide around, seeing, you know, people uh, make their own, make their own mistakes and get themselves in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of happen a lot happening. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the, uh, sl- uh, slicks versus, uh, wets or intermediates. Yep. And, and that whole dynamic is always super exciting to watch and yep. who's doing what. Um, but yeah, to me, the, the story was, you know, a lot of people were getting in their own way, so to speak, and making, making mistakes yep. and SVJ, is how we should call him. SV, a, SVG. SVG, yes, yes. SVG. <laughs> uh, it's a lot easier to... <laughs> right. SVG, um, super calculated yeah. and just kind of rode... What do you, where did he start, seventh or something? Yeah, he was, he was fast all weekend. Yeah. And um, so the... Uh, rain was looks like it was going to be an issue. It turned out to be a non-issue, and the bigger issue became daylight. And um, so, I think the race scheduled length was a hundred laps total. And about halfway through, they did the calculations and figured that they were going to run out of daylight, so they removed twenty-five laps. So they're now shooting for seventy-five laps uh, for a complete race. And uh, that that change benefited like 11 cars and cars that were not usually in the picture were now in the picture but he was one of those 11 so oh he's he started third yeah so i i think that change on the fly to shorten the race didn't overly benefit him because he was always up front throughout the whole weekend Mm -hmm. so i don't and and that wasn't really there there wasn't a lot of chatter about that you know people like chase elliott who was having a problem all weekend he was a part of those cars that benefited from it yeah the three austin dillon he he popped up towards the front and i think he led a lap or two yep um but the other the other thing that i would totally watch a separate broadcast alone are the feet and uh svg had an in-car camera on his feet and they pointed out with the with the sequential gearbox, you can use the clutch, but you do not have to. Mm-hmm. He was using the clutch and uh, breaking the power a bit to help with uh, breaking it, so the tires won't skip. Um, uh, so it, it, I, I love watching feet, mm-hmm. and um, I also thought it was interesting that the I remember in the old car when they would step on the brake with a foot camera, that thing would go. Uh, There's travel in the pedal. And the travel in this pedal was almost just like hardly anything. So right, I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting. But I, th- I think his technique, I think his comfort level racing on a street and the comfort level in a car that's pr- probably pretty similar to what he's used to, I think he just schooled everybody. Yep. And um, I uh, I didn't see it, but uh, I think the there was Kyle Larson and somebody else, and Kyle Busch maybe, somebody else walked right up to him and, and said, hey, great job right after they finished. Because uh, they know that they got their pants pulled down. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you know. Well, to me, um, you know, the last portion of the race when he, you know, had to had to make a few passes um, 
was was the most impressive, and, yeah. and it's probably because there was good good coverage of it. So when it was when it was go time, and he needed to get to the front to win this race, um, and he made those final few passes. Watching those passes were incredible. Yeah, um, effortless, effortless. Yeah. How how clean they were, how good of passes they were, how 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 far he cleared the cars on the passes. Yeah. Like it was incredible. Yeah, it wasn't even close. And and then you could just like casual fans could even tell that he was a superior driver than anyone else out yeah. there. It didn't take someone who's studied this stuff forever. It was just blatantly obvious that he was like you yeah. said schooling them. Yeah. And holy cow. Um I don't it these yeah. guys but all these guys are incredible drivers. So to see this happen is, is something else. <laughs> yeah, that's, you, know, you know. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think all the rest of the cup guys automatically look like a bunch of clowns, but I think this puts them on notice that uh, they may need to sharpen their game a bit because that that to me is pretty impressive. And and the and the historical piece of it is Johnny Rutherford was the last guy to win his first cup outing 60 years ago, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't necessarily a points race. It was the uh, one of the qualifying races for the Daytona 500. So that shows you how rare it is for anyone to come in and win their first time out. I think the closest was maybe Jamie McMurray. I think he won his third time out. Yep. But and, I, and I think when we were ramping up um, for uh, Coda, yeah. right, and we had Jensen yep. coming in and, and uh, Jordan and others, um, we were starting to look at some stats about road course ringers winning races. Yep. And even that is actually very, very – it's a small percentage, if not, I don't know about any road course ringer after we were talking with uh, Ron Fellows. I think they improved the position of the car, but I'm not sure if any road course ringers officially won cup races. Um, yeah, and, and that's what I, I didn't want to say that for, for certain, but I think where, where we ended up was like, yeah, a road course quote-unquote ringer has never come in and won right. a race yeah. in NASCAR cup Yeah. So um, I until potentially – Chicago. Yeah. I think that NASCAR uh, is going to take this model and move it all over the world. And um, the the one person that I know that had a lot to do with building this track and has an event background and works for NASCAR, um, a few weeks ago he was in London. And uh, – I don't, I don't know what he was doing there, but, mm-hmm. but um, I think that this is going to move. I think, you know, if, if they've signed a, co- a contract with Chicago for two or three years, uh, I, I think after that period of time, if they make it for the three years, I think they pull anchor and they go somewhere else. And, yep. and um, you know, people always say like, oh, the teams are screaming for a bunch of money and now you're going to send them outside of the country. So the, the way it works in IndyCar, I think, is the last series that has done it successfully when they would go to Brazil. Um, uh, the teams make money right off the bat when they go because the series is getting paid to go there. Mm-hmm. They split that money. The series will cover the cost of moving people and moving equipment. So uh, you usually get a stipend per car in your way in the good. So it it's not a big deal to travel your entire team to another country. So those are the only stipulations that you need to make it work. But there are other countries that are starving for 
these big events to come to draw more attention to their country yep. for whatever reason. And that's where uh, something like a port, you know, giant air quotes, portable street course uh, can uh, pull anchor and show up and put on a show uh, and have it be exciting. A lot of storylines come out of it. And the the ratings, I mean, holy shit. Yeah. So they got a 2.52 rating with 4.632 million viewers, Yep. which is the most watched uh, NASCAR race in the last six years, excluding Daytona 500. Yep. So um, it paid off. Yeah. So um, definitely big ratings. So another, another sort of theme that I or trend that I'm tracking here is it was later in the day. Yep. Right. And we saw really good numbers for Nashville also, yep. which was later on Sunday. Yep. So it seems like, you know, you move the race into the evening on Sunday, you're going to get better TV numbers. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's probably uh, a hit on, you know, the, the local, experience though of, yep. of the event right it's harder yep. for people to be somewhere at an event sunday night you know yep. versus sunday afternoon yep. you know when they got to work the next day yeah and if and if i'm nbc i care about that a little <laughs> it's like that's not my number one priority yeah. but i bet you that the sanctioning body that was ba- balancing yep. that right that's yep. they have to decide the right uh right balance between those two things yeah I would think visually the only thing that Chicago did not deliver, which is a little bit of a bummer, but not much, was um, like I think I saw maybe seventy or eighty thousand people was the reported weekend total, which I, I think is right. Uh, it was hard to see all of those people because there was a lot of trees. There, like the grandstands, they had their one main grandstand behind pit road, but then there was others around the track. There was a lot of in-car stuff, so you couldn't really see. So you couldn't really yeah, I agree get a that. feel for the amount of yeah, people Yeah, I was kind of looking there. for that and couldn't really see. Yeah. See, yeah. Almost yeah. like, you know, uh, Rolex 24. There's a shitload of people there. They're just not on television. Yeah. Like, they're all in the infield and they're walking all around, yeah. but they're just not sitting in the stands. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that this event, even though it's happening in NASCAR, helps everybody. It helps validate a model of going to cities. Um, I still think that, you know, I, I, the, the noise around Chicago and the government of Chicago, uh, I heard good things and bad things. I don't know what is real, but if there is the chance to do have this concept live on the West Coast, I think it needs to be the Long Beach Grand Prix and a doubleheader weekend with IndyCar. I think that would be amazing. Um, and I, I think... I think that track is, uh, I don't think it can hold all the cars on there. So I think you have an A and a B heat and then have a a final um, outcome of that. But um, given the vibe that Long Beach Grand Prix has already, because it's been there for, you know, almost 50 years, Mm -hmm. um, that shows you the date equity that an event can bring because the city wraps their arms around it several times they big they give big wet kisses they love it when yep. and like chicago is like i don't know about this that's at least kind of the vibe yeah, i got no, you're right yeah so when you have when you have a product that you know is going to work and a city that's like come on down that to me is like inst- yeah instant magic you know? yeah well i wonder if we're like the product was great 
the TV numbers were fantastic. Are we potentially just overreacting here a little bit based on the fact that TV ratings were so good, but it's because it was Sunday night and it didn't really have anything to compete with and, and, and blah, blah, blah. Maybe. Um, but I think historically these summer NASCAR races don't produce big numbers, period. Yeah. So I think, I think that was another positive. And, um, you know, you had IndyCar, NBC, you had um, NBC, NASCAR. They stage it correctly, so they're not, you know, trying to piece apart the motorsports audience. Yep. So they're, they're doing this for a reason. This is not by accident. And, um, and yeah, I don't, you know, going into a negotiating year with NASCAR, they need to be able to prove that they can sell advertising without having a commercial on every 45 seconds. Yep. So it has to pay for itself. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things that this thing needs to do, NASCAR yep. and motorsports in general. And um, I think this was a, a really big validation point for NASCAR. Well, and then I think the, the final um, factor on this is the newness factor. Yep. Right? Yep. So that, that impacted this for sure. How long does that last, right? So like my Miami F1, for example, mm-hmm. you know, how long until that's not a good product or, or people, the, the newness factor has worn off. Right. I think we're probably seeing that already a yep. bit or we did see it um, with the TV numbers, right? Yeah. So anyways, I did look up um, this whole road course ringer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so uh, this is on the NASCAR site. Uh, Shane Van Gis, whatever. Uh, Ginsbergen. <laughs> yeah, that guy. It's also the first win for a true road course ringer. Yep. Um, in fi- you know, in fifty years. So the first, we'll call that the first true road course ringer to come in and and beat these guys. Yep. Um, we've seen people try and try year over year. Yep. We, you know, a bunch of them in Coda, whatever. They never win. This guy. And, you know, again, hats off to Trackhouse because yep. this is their Project 91, uh, which is a third car that um, I was happy to see a lot of Ganassi guys on the wall. Um, and the, the people that pitted this car and operated this car for the weekend, those guys do not travel full time. They used to. Uh, and it's a lot of guys that are like, I, you know, they raise their hand and they say, I'm OK working in the shop. Yep. Um, but they were all called upon to uh, operate this car, which I thought was great. And the fact that they are bringing in these talents to do exactly what SVG did, that's awesome. Yep. Because um, Mario Andretti, uh, Dan Gurney, Phil Hill, all of these names that built the foundation of motorsports, at least here in the United States, that's how they got their name is they did not stay in one series and brace their whole career there. They moved everywhere. Yep. NASCAR, Formula One, sports car racing, they race Le Mans. Like that's when you start having these people start moving and intertwining their fan bases from all over the world. That's where this thing gets huge. Yeah. Huge. So I'm well, and, really and, happy to see that. And everyone wins from that, right? Right. right. There's a cross pollination of the series, cross pollination of the fans. Yep. The driver has gets more notoriety across the world and in different formats so yeah Yeah. i I think it's great i'm i'm so glad they're doing it yeah and they they asked him in victory lane of course uh you know do you see yourself getting a getting calls for next year and then he he said he's like i got one more year in australia and then i would love to come over here and then i was looking this morning and i think one of the 
folks from his team, the executives from his team said, we're not going to hold him back. If he gets a full-time ride and wants to go, we'll release him. So I thought that's really good. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and obviously he's never raced on an oval. This, you know, he had a, a great first race. You know, how consistent can he be? Uh, probably pretty consistent. But if you look at the schedule and you look at the playoff system and how you get to the championship and there's like five, you know, road or street or, you know, courses on there, you need to win one of them. <laughs> it's probably not a bad strategy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. So, um, what else? It was a big weekend. Yeah, yeah. I think I think those are the big stories for me. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of getting excited about this next coming weekend. We got a lot going on. Yeah, we do. So um, we're going to have both the IMSA and WEC Corvettes in action. <clears throat> uh, we're going to have the six hours of Monza. Yep. Uh, so the 33 is going to be there and we're going to have the, uh, Canadian motorsports, Mossport. Canadian tire motorsports park, Mossport, uh, Mossport up in Canada. So the IMSA crew is going to be up there. Yep. Um, we're going to do our alternative broadcast for the last part of the, the WEC race and then lead into IMSA. Yeah. That'll um, be fun. So please follow along with that. Um, I haven't studied the points scenarios for the WEC, but I think clinching a championship for our team could happen. Yes. Without too much funny business. So I took a brief look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there's a claim that we can clinch the exact formula of what clinching means yes. points wise. I do not know yet. Yeah. Um, I think what we're going to want to do a little bit of analysis of that before we get to uh, this weekend. Nerd alert. Sure. Nerd alert. <laughs> yeah. Well, these things are tricky, but yeah, we something. How many? Yeah. What the point delta is that they need to earn and yep. blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, that's that's super exciting. I think it's going to be really fun to like we'll have two races that we can kind of balance for a little bit yep. and play play off that right. So if if one race is I mean, there's not a lot of overlap, but, a, you know, a bit of a snoozer. We can yep. talk a bit more about the other. Yeah. Um, we do need to figure out what we'll do with data, right, or what data we're going to show. Um, anyways, yeah, it's a, I'm looking forward to yeah. it. In an in a IMSA race that's two hours and 40 minutes, like, yeah, that we're is, not going to yep. know what to do with ourselves. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, with that, um, so we're going to kick off uh, streaming Sunday at 1130 Eastern time. And I think we'll go till 3.30 is what the three, time was. Three, three, I think three, it three. is, yeah. So um, feel free to join. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing those. We Luke has put on, overlaid the data uh, on our primary screen. Um, so you don't need to wait a super long time to figure out where we are. So you can see right off the bat. Um, uh, we uh, we need to may- maybe get some guests lined up, but I don't know. It's, yeah. it's pretty short uh, uh, racing window. Um, I don't know. I, I think that maybe we just call Doug and let him <laughs> let the big dog eat. <laughs> yeah. We'll need to check where, where our, our, our other friends are going to be yeah, and how but, available they will be. Yeah. But, uh, the feedback from Doug, Doug loves doing that stuff. Yeah. And I think he really digs the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's fun. But yeah, it's, um, he's talking about Doug Feehan. Doug Feehan. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, it should be uh, a pretty interesting weekend and, um, as usual, thanks for following along with this podcast and all of our social media channels. Um, we are starting to feature some fan photos 
on our channels. Um, so I asked folks to send in some quick little stories and pictures of their interaction with Corvette racing over the years. So a lot of really good stuff has been rolling in. So we're sharing those. And um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, we can clinch a championship this weekend in the WEC series. And uh, all will be well in the universe. Yep. All right. Well, it was good. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, glad to be back. <laughs> glad to have you back. All right. We'll talk to you. <laughs> Bye.